بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته a very warm welcome to this week's edition of Living the Legacy and today inshallah we're talking all about school. When should your child start school? We're going to find out more about that today from educator and author Wahida Jusid, who also pursues her interest in psychological coaching in her free time. She takes us through more of that in today's program coming up in the next segment or two, inshallah. But first, our program takes us to our Ramadan readiness focus. That's right. You heard right. Uh, with less than two months for the month of Ramadan. Shall we say we are going to be entering the month of Rajab in a few weeks time. So yeah, just over two months. Um, preparing for Ramadan means preparing the heart, preparing the body, the mind, the soul for Ramadan. And today we're going to touch on the topic of forgiveness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes his generosity and kindness in that he forgives whoever repents to him from whatever evil they commit. In Surah 4, Ayah 110, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, If anyone does evil or wrongs his own soul, but afterwards seeks Allah's forgiveness, he will find Allah oft forgiving, most merciful. Ibn Abbas commented about this ayah of the Qur'an, saying that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs his servants of his forgiveness, forbearing generosity, and of his expanse of mercy. So, whoever commits a sin, whether major or minor, but afterwards seeks Allah's forgiveness, he will find Allah forgiving, he will find Allah merciful, even if his sins were greater than the heavens and the earth and the mountains. It is also narrated by Imam Ahmad that Abu Bakr radiallahu said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, No Muslim commits a sin and then performs ablution, meaning the wudu, prays two rak'ahs and begs Allah for forgiveness for that sin, but he forgives him. And so if a believer makes mistakes, and we all do, we have to offer sincere repentance to be entitled to forgiveness. In Islam, sincere repentance is known as tawbah. And to recap what this tawbah requires of us, number one, to recognize and admit that we have made a mistake, to ask forgiveness from that person also, that we try to atone for the sin we have done, if possible. For example, um, if, a per if we have stolen money, to return that. And fourthly, that we make the intention never to do the sin again. So let's recap those four steps, main steps of Tawbah. Recognize and admit that we have made a mistake. Ask Allah for forgiveness and if the sin was against a person, Ask forgiveness from that person also. Try to atone for the sin we have done if possible. And make the intention never to do the sin again. We are told many times in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the oft-returning, the most merciful. 
We understand from this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting for us to turn to him in sincere repentance. If we are sincere, then Allah will have mercy on us. We are also advised to follow a bad deed with a good deed. This means as soon as we realize we have done something wrong, that we should immediately try to do something good. We should try to maintain the five daily salah at its awwal waqt. This builds our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You see, during the salah, we are reciting the fatiha in which we ask Allah for guidance. In a hadith Qudsi, it is explained that the salah, or rather the fatiha, is divided into two parts. Part is for Allah and part is for the worshipper. Allah promises to give the worshipper whatever he or she asks for. In this case, it is the guidance. It is also necessary to read the Qur'an, to understand and to implement this guidance from Allah in our daily lives. Both Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim record the hadith of Abu Sa'id radiallahu anhu that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told about the man who kills 99 people. Later on, he regretted it and asked a worshipper among the children of Israel whether he could repent. This worshipper told him no. So he killed him, thus completing 100. Then he asked one of their scholars whether he could repent. And the scholar said to him, what is stopping you from repenting? Then he told him to go to a town where Allah was worshipped. The man set out for that town, but death came to him while he was on the road. The angels of mercy and the angels of punishment disputed over him. So Allah commanded them to measure the distance between the two towns and the place where the man died. Whichever town he was closer to when he died was the one to which he belonged. They found he was closer to the town he was heading for. Thus, the angels of mercy took him. It was said that when he was dying, he moved himself towards that town, while Allah commanded the good town to move closer to him and the other town to move away. On the other hand, Al-Bukhari recorded that Ibn Abbas said that some of the people of shirk killed many people and committed zina to a great extent. They then came to Rasulullah and said, What you are saying and calling us to is good. If only you could tell us that there is an expiation, a way of making amends for what we have done. And then, at this time, ayat, ayat 67 until 70 of Surah 25, Surah Al-Furqan, were revealed, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, those who, when they spend, are not extravagant and not niggardly, but hold a just balance between those extremes. Those who invoke not with Allah any other God, nor slay such life as Allah has made sacred except for just cause, nor commit fornication, and any that does this not only meets punishment, but the penalty on the day of judgment will be doubled for him, and he will dwell therein in ignominy. Unless he repents, believes, and works righteous deeds, 
for Allah will change the evil of such persons into good and Allah is oft forgiving, most merciful. We go for our first ad break of this hour and when we return, more on the topic of forgiveness. Stay with us. Did you know that through Sansaf you can provide a meal to an individual for only 12 rand? By committing to a monthly contribution, you can assist us in reaching out to more communities and deserving individuals. A once-off donation will also be highly appreciated in helping us achieve our monthly target. For more information, call us on 011-834-6046. Sansaf, changing lives through development and relief. You don't have to go to India to experience exotic spices. Come to Mars Spice. We select the best. We clean the best. You get the best. Dana, Jiru, Garam Masala, Maschachas Mexican Manchurian Spices. Bring your daddy and your nanny to Mars Spice. Turn your cooking into a fine art. Come visit us at Mars Spice. 33 Concord Place, Venezia. 011-854-3256. Behind Jamia Masjid. Jamiatul Ulama South Africa brings you Madrasa Aisha Higher Islamic Education for Females. Islamic Educational Courses, Skills Development Courses and Secondary School Education. Applications for 2023 are now open. Madrasa Aisha, Corner Protea and Garrick Avenue, Extension 8, Lanasia. You can call us on 011-852-1043 or on 011-854-6170. You can email us on madrasaaisha at gmail.com. Brought to you by Jamitul Ulama South Africa, Dawa Wal Irshad. You are tuned to Loving the Legacy on Radio Islam International. Alhamdulillah, in continuing with our discussion on the topic of forgiveness, we can understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly explains and educates us in the Qur'an about forgiveness and seeking forgiveness. Another set of ayat, and amongst them my favorite, is in Surah Az-Zumar, Surah 39, Ayat 53 and 54, wherein Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Say, O my servants who have transgressed against their souls, despair not of the mercy of Allah. For Allah forgives all sins, for he is oft forgiving, most merciful. Turn you to our Lord in repentance and bow to his will before the penalty comes on you. After that, you shall not be helped. So we can understand from these ayat uh, in, in, in Surah Az-Zumar that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgives all sins provided that a person repents. Additionally, we must not despair of the mercy of Allah, even if our sins are many and great. For the door of repentance and the door of mercy is wide and expansive. In Surah At-Tawbah, Ayah 104, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, Know they not that Allah does accept repentance from his votaries and receives their gifts of charity? And that Allah is verily He, the oft-returning, most merciful. While we are still able to perform actions, it is never too late to turn to Allah. When we do, we should do everything we can to live as Muslims, 
to fulfill all of our obligations as Muslims. And as our Iman, our faith increases, so too our knowledge, our understanding, and our practicing of Islam should improve as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Betrayal, oppression, deception, whatever it may be that has happened to us, the result is the same. A broken heart and as is the case in the dunya and in our human experience, that broken heart is at the hand of a human. A broken heart that feels like it can never be fixed and it was entirely someone else's fault. It would be enough if that person had just hurt us and all we had to do was to deal with the pain that came from their actions, but no. Rather, the hurt, the pain, the brokenness brought out the worst in us, allowed us to see our own faults and painful ones at that. So, how do we go on? How do we move on with life and shift our focus back to the one, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who deserves it? How do we stop obsessing over the wrongs that occurred and start focusing on the only one, subhanahu wa ta'ala, who should be obsessed over? One word, forgiveness. When a person is soaked in sin and wants to return to Allah, he begins with repentance. And the person wholeheartedly turns to Allah, asking Allah to forgive utterly and completely even though the asker may not be deserving. And likewise, the path back to Allah after a severely broken heart at the hand of a human is forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness, the key is shifting to how we see forgiveness. As always, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us a beautiful tool to make the shift. And that is the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. Of the many fruitful parts of the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam is that of his being wronged by the wife of the Aziz. She attempted to seduce him and not only did she do, attempt to do this, she landed him in jail by blaming him of the unthinkable. Imagine, this is a woman who, as the wife of the Aziz, was, he was supposed to be able to trust her. This was someone whom he served. Yet her, when her desires took over, she wronged him many times over. Despite all of this, Prophet Yusuf salam, did not act wrongfully, nor did he hold a grudge. Why? He knew the reality of forgiveness. When all was exposed and the truth revealed, Yusuf made a revolutionary statement in Ayah 53 of Surah Yusuf, in which he said, Truly the self is inclined to evil except for those whom my Lord grants his mercy. Truly, my Lord is oft forgiving, most merciful. A huge, humbling, life-changing lesson that we can take from Yusuf statement is, you are not the oppressor in the situation only because Allah has blessed you with his mercy. Every soul has the ability to wrong others. Every soul has the ability to be the oppressor. And only, only Allah's mercy 
prevents that. So the next time we begin to feel immense and absolute anger towards the person who's harmed us, let's start making that shift towards forgiveness. One step at a time. Forgive the one who's wronged us because not because a person deserves it, but rather forgive them as a sign of gratitude to Allah. Forgive as a symbol of thanking Allah for blessing us to be of those who have never thought of hurting a person in the manner that we had to endure. Forgive as a symbol of thanking Allah for making us not the oppressors. So this is something to keep in mind. But again, when it comes to forgiveness and oppression, we want to be very careful and look at where the line is drawn. And this does not mean that we can, we can accept abuse or that we should accept abuse. No, of course not. But often in today's time, it's the very small little things that we ourselves come to admit later on and say, it was so trivial. I wish I forgive that person before they passed away. For example, it's important that we, we, we start opening our hearts to pray for those uh, who don't accept us, who, who don't, who, who choose to hurt us. Uh, pray that they realize their wrongs before they face Allah. Pray that no one ever has to go through the same thing you did at the hands of that person. So ask yourself, on what scale, on what level do I need to bring forgiveness into my life? And how can I be of those who are able to show and have forgiveness towards others? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us this understanding. Ameen. This week is an exciting and important week for many. It's uh, back to school, or almost back to school for many, and a new school, a madrasa, a hivya, academic year for many. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless one and all's ease and success in their academic undertakings. Ameen. Today, we're going to talk more about starting school. You know, there's a lot of discussion and conversation on school readiness, when should kids start, um, and yeah, we're going to be looking at that in today's program, inshallah. So, we encourage you to stay with us, where after the break, we're going to focus on the topic of school readiness. Stay with us. A warm welcome to Living the Legacy on Radio Islam. My name is Rehan Omar. Great to have you joining us today on the program. Many moms with children that are aged between three and five years of age sit with this conundrum of a question. Should my child be in school or not? On one hand, parenting blogs will tell you the sooner the better. And on the other hand, many blogs may say, why start before time when a child should be free and be able to play and just focus on playing? Many parents are wondering if keeping their children at home is the right thing or not, whether you're schooling or homeschooling or unschooling, when do you start with the education process? Our guest today is Sister Wahida Jusub. Wahida is an educator and author who also pursues her interests in psychological coaching in a free time. She uses her blog, What Wadi Says, to share articles and resources related to mental health and well-being, which are readily accessible to the modern woman. If you're looking for the blog, it's What Wadi Says, What W-H-A-T, Way D W A Y capital D says S A Y S. 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Wahida. Welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. As we've mentioned, many parents are told that by the age of three, their child should be at school uh, to learn, and it's a must um, as a teacher. We're interested to know what are your thoughts on this, please. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, sister. Shukran for having me today. Um, gee, as a teacher, I don't, um, I'm one of those who don't agree that children should start school too early. Um, we study it and we can see it as well when, with the children that we work with, that those who start school too early are usually not ready enough. And when I say ready enough, I'm not just talking about, um, you know, grade R readiness sort of, of work. I'm talking about developmentally. Is their mind ready to accept the work that we're going to be giving them? Is their mind ready to accept being in an environment, a structured environment, where, they, where a certain, um, you know, amount of... Uh, uh, work is going to be expected from them. Are they ready for that? Are they developmentally ready? Um, besides their, their physiological development and their mental development, we also look at their social de development. Are they socially ready? Um, to, to to be placed in a in a in a place away from home, um, you know, for a few hours, and usually it's quite a few hours um, every day away from away from mom, away from the emotional att attachment that they have at home. So it's the emotional development, social development. You know, um, it's not just about my child can can count or my child knows all the ABCs or my child can do this or my child can do that. There's so much more to it. Are your child's hand muscles developed enough to to um, be able to pick up a pencil and, and or a crayon and color in, um, you know, with the correct sort of posture and with the correct uh, movements? Are your, is your child really holistically developed enough to be able to do all of these things? Usually the answer for a three-year-old child is no. The child is usually not ready at that age. You know, sister, there are quite a few disadvantages that unfortunately um, are only really felt by the child themselves. So from my experience, and there has been some research on it as well, most learners who start school at an earlier age most of them um, experience some sort of educational problem, whether it's a learning disability or whether it's ADHD or something like this. And in this day and age, when we are so prone to giving labels to people, it's unfortunately this group of children who've started school a little bit too early for their age, when they were not fully developmentally ready for school, we put them into this system where we expect them to conform, we expect them to do things that they are really not ready to do, and when they're unable to do that, we label them. We say, this child is dyslexic, this child is uh, cancer still in class probably let's check for ADHD you know and then you get the more serious issues where um, 
where it's taken up so so much further that now we're medicating that child because that child was probably just in school maybe six months earlier. I'm not generalizing. I'm not saying that it's all children. What I'm saying is that it, there's a larger percentage of children who experience educational issues a large percentage of those children were put in school slightly early before they were developmentally ready and um, I'm sure I don't have anything in front of me now but there have been studies on this um, studies show that for example when the child is the youngest in their class they have a greater chance of experiencing educational problems um, not just educational problems but even social and emotional complications and then it goes further to say that many of these um, learners uh, experience anxiety and depression at a very young age um, you know so you can uh, look at it that way is it healthy for your child to be in school in a system forced to conform to a system from such a young age you know that if you think about it the only work that a child needs to do is play play is their work that's all they need to do they just need to play and um, playing, it, it's natural. It comes naturally to them. You don't need to teach a child how to play. You know, it's enjoyable for children. It keeps them active. You know, it keeps them happy. Free play, um, you know, builds their imagination. It um, allows them to explore their own feelings. It allows them to um, in explore different ways of interacting with people, adults and children. Um, playing helps children, uh, children to develop um, on so many different um, levels, um, physically because of the activity that they're taking part in, emotionally uh, because of the interactions that they're dealing with, and socially as well because of the interactions that they're dealing with. And... Um, um, if you if you keep your mindset that the only work your child has to do is to play, you'll find that that child will be able to flourish, you know. Um, and I'm not just saying playing, obviously, I think it goes without saying, I'm not saying playing on a cell phone. I mean like actual playing, running, skipping, jumping, hopscotch, you know, actual playing, sharing, you know, the, the old days of, of, of having a little tea party, you know, having your imaginary friends or your imaginary, uh, you know, your stuffed animals and you create a little uh, tea party with them. All of these things, it creates curiosity. It builds resilience. Um, you know, it makes a child independent. It makes them want to be able to explore more. It motivates them. Um, playing with uh, your building blocks builds your imagination you know it's also working with your uh, gross motor uh, skills and your fine motor skills and and it's it, it's really good for your physical fitness it's good for your the child's agility um you know their coordination and their balance and um they they learn um they learn i don't know they to explore their feelings i said 
to it helps them to develop um, discipline uh, you know they learn how to express themselves they can uh, learn uh, the things that they like the things that they don't like they learn their own preferences in this way um, and then they work out so much their tiny minds are always working and sometimes you can see the spanners at work you know um, of, of trying to make sense of the world around them and playing um, is is like it's like a challenge for kids you know uh learning how to ride a bike learning how to swim uh you know learning uh something new that they haven't done before these are tiny challenges that they can achieve and it builds their motivation and it builds their their resilience and it builds their um you know, it makes them feel so good, so accomplished, alhamdulillah. And I think that's the only work your child needs to be doing, um, you know, younger than I would say um, four, four and a half. Just let that child play. Just allow them the time to play. There's, um, I'll, I'll get into it later, but I don't think parents should be bullied into, um, you know, putting their kids into, into school too early. You know, there is such a thing as um, school fatigue. School fatigue, the way I see it, is one of two things. It's either on the one hand, your child uh, goes to school and then you notice that these days your child doesn't have enough, uh, you know, as much physical energy as they used to have or even mental vitality as they used to have prior to starting school and then you think wow school's really making them tired you know and that's on a day-to-day -day basis and so then you find okay maybe this child needs some vitamins maybe we need to give him some i don't know gummy vibes or something and we want uh, we want to try to um, increase the child's mental and physical vitality so that he can he can uh, concentrate to the best at school on the other hand and the way I see school fatigue and the way I've experienced it in, in people around me as well is children who ha who started school very early um, at age of three and by the time they come into grade um, four, five, you know, their motivation in, in class is really low. They're not really working to the best of their potential. I've seen it happening and um, it's very, very difficult to motivate these learners to work harder in class. Very difficult to, to, to create some competitive spirit in them because they're just so tired of trying all the time. And you don't blame them because they've been at it for so many years, you know. And it's, it's so sad to see this happening on primary school level when we know as teachers, as mothers, as, 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 as adults, that they're going to be going into secondary school and they're going to need much more motivation and much more for competitive spirit in high school. And to see this happening at primary school level is the, is the, it's the saddest thing, really. And um, I'm not saying that uh, starting school early is the only uh, cause of that, um, but I, I think it's one of the factors that we have to take into account when we when we deal with children like this. So children who um, we notice them in class, you know, we they can be the person who's um, you know yawning a lot. It can be the person who's um, 
uh, not um, concentrating well, the one who's, you know, we would label as the hyperactive one, the one who's fidgeting all the time, um, you know, the one who wants to uh, keep leaving the class to go to the loo because now he needs some other stimulation elsewhere and the classroom is not giving him that stimulation. You can get, you know, the, it can manifest in, a, in an actual meltdown, you know, uh, an overload, emotional, uh, sensory overload where this child is now, has now experienced too much. They've had too much of schooling, you know, and uh, maybe it's for the day or perhaps it's something that's built up over time. And then and then we're dealing with that, um, you know, that level of emotion is not, uh, it's, it's too much for the little minds to to handle it. It's, it's, these are big, big feelings for little minds, and we've, we're not um, we're not doing any any good service to uh, our, our littleies when when we we're putting them into a system where they need to you know conform, uh, where they they they're not given a chance to to get to know their own strengths. You know, they're not giving a cha- given a chance to get to know um, what they they're good at. You know, artistic abilities and 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 sporting abilities. And, and all we're doing is just stuffing this academic work around, down their throat, you know. You need to read, you need to read, you need to count, you need to do this math, you need to do, um, you know, this mental uh, math and you need to be doing it faster. You, you're not working fast enough, you know. You're not writing neat enough. You're not, um, you know, uh, talking clearly enough. You're not uh, speaking confidently enough. You're not, you're not, you're not. All of this, it leads a child to become completely exhausted and you don't blame them. You don't blame them when they're being pushed and pushed. Um, you know, from the time they're three years old, they're being pushed for this. And it's not it's not the, the, the best thing to witness as a teacher. As a mother, my heart breaks for these kids. Um, I've seen it. I've experienced it. And unfortunately, um, it, it, there's very little that I can do as a teacher to help a child who's not developmentally ready to be helped. Yes, early childhood education is not babysitting. I think this question really needs to, needs to be explored very honestly with both parents uh, or caregivers um, at the time of these, uh, you know, decision making. What is the primary reason you want that child, your three-year-old child, out of the house? Is it because mom and dad are both working and you have nowhere else to leave the child and you think to yourself, oh, well, three years old is a good time now and that school's accepting three-year-olds, three so let's go and put our child there. And so now we know we have that space in that school. Um, you know, I think that's a topic for another day. But what is the primary reason you want the child out of the house? Is it because you feel that... Um, you know, one factor could be that this child is, does not have enough um, social stimulation during the week and you feel that, okay, going to school will give the child some social stimulation. Um, is it because you, then, then I think it's fine. Then, then if really, if there's no other option to get social um, stimulation for this child and to develop that child socially, then I think it's fine then to put them into uh, some sort of unstructured um, play center, not school school, okay? Um, 
there's a difference, okay? We want the child to continue playing. We don't want the child to be in a structured environment from too early. Um, so I think if the factor is that children are to be out of the house because parents are busy, then that means you're using your um, early childhood education as um, babysitting, and that's not what it's for. So that's what I meant on my blog post. Yes, so now we have um, the situation where your child has already started school. They're um, a bit young in their cohort, so they're probably the youngest in their class. Um, but they're already in the system, so now what's the solution there? So I think it depends on um, how old your child is and where in the schooling system they, are fitting, they fit in. Um, so if they're in um, the readiness option, so if they're in grade R, I would suggest um, either um, opt to pull your child out of school for now and re-enter them into the system in the next schooling year, or if they're already in the schooling system, you could opt to repeat that year. Okay, so I think this is a bit of an emotional uh, decision for parents to make, but I think it needs to be looked at um, in the bigger picture, you know. So try to try to think about the difficulties your child might experience later on. So giving them a, a, the best footing, the best start, you know, giving them a good developmental foundation to build on will, will be better for them in the long run. And so repeating that here is not the worst thing that can happen. I promise you it's not the worst thing that can happen. Um, if your child has already done the readiness um, and they've made it to grade one, meaning that they've passed all of those oral assessments that the readiness gives, and then there's a tick box by, um, you know, cooperation and a tick box, but uh, my child can do this and the child can do that. And there's all these ticks and lovely symbols, A's and B's, um, that the child has, has um, you know, achieved, and now they're in grade one, um, you could, again, allow your child to continue the year and accept that, he may perhaps have to repeat the year if the teacher feels that he's not ready enough. Or you as the parent could ask that your child repeats the year because they're not ready enough. Now again, we come to this very emotional topic of getting your child to repeat the year. And I promise you, it's not the worst thing that can happen. It'll be better for them in the long run. You're giving them a fighting chance, you know. You're setting them up for, for success. You're not setting them up for failure. Um, so it very often happens that children who are... Uh, who have entered the system very early and then they end up just passing the readiness because I mean the assessments are really easy and it's very um, you know uh, usually just oral work and and and, and things um, and the child has now come to grade one child perhaps maybe struggled a bit and now scraped a pass at the end of the year and sometimes parents are very uh, pleased to see that oh alhamdulillah my child has passed you know although it's a scrape and it just child just made it through you do have the option of asking that the child repeats the year and i have seen it happen i have seen it and my heart just bursts with joy when i see that the child who repeated the year actually 
you know, comes out in the top five in the class the following year. Why? Because they were developmentally ready to receive what they were learning. It's so very important. Now, if your child is already in the system, started school young, is struggling a bit, and you find and when you calculate, you see, well, you know what? My child is still among the youngest in his cohort, is among the youngest in his grade, then all, all, your child is already in the system, perhaps grade two, three, four, five or maybe higher and and you feel that yes um you know, this is something that I could uh, pinpoint uh, as the reason that my child is struggling, then I, uh, my suggestion is just keep your child in their grade, but now you need to change your mindset at home. Um, no good will come without making a, a change, and your change needs to be consistent, and your change needs to start as soon as possible. So you need to chat to your child's teacher, find out their weakest points. Is Are they weak in numerous? or maths, are they weak in literacy or English or, you know, languages. Uh, find out what they're weak in, find out where they can do better and get a private tutor or commit yourself to tutor your child and allow your child to do a little bit of extra work every day, um, you know, starting as soon as possible, a little bit every day so that you know you're giving them a slight boost and slowly but surely your child, your child should uh, improve in their own motivation and their own confidence and you will find uh, a difference in their results inshallah uh, down the line but I stress that consistency is key don't make a big decision today and then you know fizzle out tomorrow that's not going to be what your child needs your child needs just a slight change in the mindset that okay 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 I understand now you've been struggling and I think it's because you started school a little bit uh, early or I think it's because you're the youngest in your age group in your in your grade group and I think now we, we need to just now buckle down and help you a little bit at home and so now on Saturdays you're going to go to this um, teacher down the road and she's going to give you some tuition there and then in the afternoons I'm going to download these paper, uh, pages you know off the site and um, every day you're going to sit for 10 minutes and try to do this and we're going to try to pick up you know fill in the gaps of what they what they're missing uh, perhaps you need to work on a grade level that's lower than they are so they, if they're in grade four and they're struggling, go back to grade three work at home, you know, talk to the teacher, find out where their gaps are. And it's not too late to, to, to start to change, um, you know, at any, at any grade level, uh, as, as long as you, as long as, sorry, as long as your change is consistent, um, consistency is key. And inshallah, from there, you'll see your child moving from strength to strength. This is a stressful time for parents and children. These little people, they're starting their new schooling career. They're going out into school and then they, you know, and they, with their cute little lunch bags and, and, and their school bags. And then they, they go into madrasa. They're so excited to start the school year. And they, they, you know, they're big people now. And then comes the reality of the homework after school and the stress that it needs to be done. Uh, you know, a certain amount needs to be done every day day and this is where you know the honeymoon phase is over <laughs> and um, parents and children are up in arms about how to deal with all of this and how to juggle it so I think the best solution here is to find a solution that works for your family and every family is different 
okay every family has um you know strengths and weaknesses so if it's something that you among your uh you and your spouse if you can um you know say i'll do the school homework you do the madrasa homework or um you know we'll do the school homework at this time and the madrasa homework at that time and to try to find the time in your day to do it if all else fails i think it's it's worth a visit to the school and or to the madrasa and to you know to chat to the teacher and tell them you know this is the child's day this is what the child's day looks like and the amount of homework that's coming home is not all uh, you know it's not ideal um, and so if there's any possibility of us doing it on a weekly basis where we won't do all of the homework all of the time every day but what we could do is we could do some of the homework on on weekdays and we could leave some of it for the weekends and and so in that way we spreading the homework out so i think this is an arrangement that needs to be made with the teacher be it in school or in madrasa and i think there needs to be an understanding uh, between home and school of what the child is capable of doing what the child's extracurriculars are you know um, especially if a child is now younger than than the rest of their grade if they're the only ones who aren't managing to do um, the homework then i think that's also a red flag for us to to figure out what to do and which steps to take forward from there but um uh, you know my uh, solution would be first of all see if you can juggle it in uh, you know with your family members and second of all if that's not possible and the homework is just too much then it's worth a visit to the school or to the madrasa just to chat we don't want to cut off homework completely if that's uh, not their policy but um Yes, some schools do have a policy, a no homework policy. But if it's not your child's uh, school's policy, then you need to chat with them and explain to them and come to some understanding of what is, uh, you know, re- uh, realistic and what's reasonable and what isn't. So um, that has to be done, I think, on an individual family basis, and 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 try to find the one that works for you. Next point is to stay calm. Staying calm will get you much better results. Okay, um, go prepared. So when you're meeting with your child's um, teacher, have a list of questions prepared. Um, have your thought process, you know, pre-planned, and take your your little marker pen and tick off as you go through your list. This will make sure that you're making the best use of the limited time that you have in that meeting. Um, One thing I have to uh, mention is to keep an open mind when you're talking to your child's teacher. It, you know, sometimes it's not something that we want to hear, but it's something that we need to hear. And then you can always go for a second opinion or take your child for an assessment if it's a learning problem or whatever the matter may be. Um, but I think keeping an open mind and remembering that we're all in it because we want the best for the child. Well, I think the first thing to consider is that um when dealing with your child's teacher is to realize that it's all um you know it comes together with team effort. So take the teamwork approach when you are dealing with your child's teacher. Um when parents and teachers team up like this and they put on a united force um and uh, support the child, I think then we are setting children up uh, you know with the best leg and we're setting them up for success um if i had to just 
pull out some tips, I would say um, communication skills are so very important for any relationship. And remember that uh, the thing that you have between uh, yourself and your child's teacher is a relationship. So you want to build a beautiful relationship. You want to create a good rapport with the teacher. And so I uh, do um, suggest number one is to practice your communication skills or actively consider the type of communication that you're putting out. Um, with communication comes listening as well. So in order to communicate effectively, you have to be a good listener. Yeah, my advice to mothers is to find a routine that works for you and your family and be very flexible in that um you know, if you find something that's not working ideally, be open to changing your routine a little bit. But I think kids thrive with uh, uh, with routine, something that's consistent, something that can that they can depend on. So a regular bedtime and a regular awake time. So what I normally tell people is to check, um, you know, what time, what's the time that your child needs to wake up in order for them to, um, you know, get to school on time. And then count backwards from there for the amount of time uh, to get the amount of hours that they need to sleep. So you can find some information online, but I generally like to um, to say at least 10 hours for the little ones and then cut out maybe 15 minutes to half an hour as they grow um, older. So my, um, for example, grade one um, son is... N- his, I, I try to give him at least 10 hours of sleep a night. I know some people's eyes pop out when I say this, but they need to be well rested for the long days that they experience, um, you know, and for them to have the best uh, mental and physical vitality. Um, so basically, yeah, routine. And I think uh, school-wise, you would you want to make contact with your uh, child's teacher early on in the year, but I think most schools try to fit this into their calendar and so I think uh, my tip would be to make yourself available for when the school calls you in. You want to be a familiar face at school but you don't want to be too familiar in that you're seen as sort of a helicopter parent and and, 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 um, that's also not very uh, nice. I think there's a balance. Find the balance. Um, You know, chat to your child. Find out who their friends are. Find out what's happening at school. Um, You know, use use uh, different sorts of questions to try to get information from them instead of saying how was your day and then they'll say oh it was nice try to say well what's one thing that made you smile today what's one thing that um, you know made you a bit sad today and try to find out um, you know more about how their day is going they have very long days um you know, I'm going to suggest um, something that's very normal for some families and not so normal for others. Is that and We thank Sister Wahida Joseph today for this informative discussion, understanding into school readiness. Sister Wahida Joseph is an educator and author and also pursues her interest in psychological co- coaching in her free time. She uses her blog, What Wei Di Says, to share articles and resources related to mental health and well-being, which are readily accessible to the modern women. This program will be up on podcast in the coming week, and you can play back to listen back to the program again. That brings us to the close of another edition of Living the Legacy. Until we meet again, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.